there is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to the Twilight Highlight Zone. I am Ben Hansen, your host this time around, and I'm joined by Jeff Cork. Hey, Ben Hansen. Hello. So, we are covering the last four episodes of season two. It flew by, didn't it? It really did. I think maybe because this time we like we stocked up on so many before we started releasing mm-hmm. them that it doesn't feel kind of like a slog like season one. There were about a dozen fewer episodes this season as well. Yo, was that right? I didn't even look at the grand yeah, total. Yeah, it's pretty short. Okay, I can see that. Uh, yeah, so only four this time around, so it'll be a shorter episode, but maybe they're so good we'll keep talking. And maybe I'll keep talking and make it even longer, <laughs> so we'll see. All right, first episode in this block is called Shadow Play. It opens with a man in a courtroom Things are suspicious. He keeps saying he's been convicted of this crime before. Uh, Turns out that he's convinced that he is in a dream. And he's trying to convince these people that he is in a dream before he is sentenced to death because he doesn't want that feeling of being put to death in a dream. The people within his dream eventually believe him that they're all a construct of his dream. The people within his dream get a hold of the dream governor. The dream governor cancels the execution. Those people in the dream then disappear and then, dun-dun-dun, the twist is that he is back at the beginning of the dream again, implying that he's just having the same dream again and again and again. And all the people are in different roles, too. So, like, the guy who was uh, in the cell across from him is now the presiding judge. This uh, is the coolest part of the episode to me, is the idea that it's a dream and that it's just people in his life are shuffled around to these different roles every time. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to convince everybody, like, hey, you were all part of my dream Except last time you were this person. And then it's cool that we all get to see that at the end with round two of this crazy dream. Exactly. And also an interesting part of this episode is him trying to convince everybody that if he dies, they will all die because they all exist within his head within this dream. They're all just constructs. Yeah. And actually it's a nerdy reference, but it reminds me of the plot to Link's Awakening. Yeah. There's always that subtext of like, hey, uh, when you wake up, like we're all going to die. Just mm-hmm. so you know, somebody's asleep here and it's all going away. Yeah. So this episode was a bizarre mixture of Groundhog Day and the Matrix all intertwined into one. Yeah. His explanation as to like the, his, the guy across the cell is like, well, this is just a dream. You get fried, you know, or is it the the prosecuting attorney? I forget. Anyway, someone yeah. tells him, you know, if you get fried, you're just going to wake up. And he just says, like, every night I wake up screaming from having this nightmare. Yeah, his entire motivation in this episode is it sucks to die in dreams, and he doesn't want to go through that one time, even though he knows it's a dream. Like, it happens every time. It's like the worst lucid dream ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's on rails. He's able to change things. Like, he convinces the one guy who comes to visit him, you know, your wife put steaks in the the oven. Yeah. If you go home now, it's going to be something else. And the guy teleports back home. Opens up the the oven and indeed it is a roast, Which, you know. So it's like the things are kind of pliable a little. That's bit. interesting, yeah, because they, they, there's that one spot in the episode where it is pliable, but it's like, well, why doesn't he change the texture of the bars, or why doesn't he find mm-hmm. some way out of this jail that he couldn't think of before? It's a weird thing that they added that one detail of like, yeah. oh, he can change his own dream, but then he never really takes advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, except for the fact that I don't know, maybe convincing them is something that he changed this time around, which I guess is the case. He fought harder and the dream became self-aware mm-hmm. to the point that the governor called. Yeah. It's very strange. 
it's some uh, weird stuff. I like how like when you first the one guy is like blowing a harmonica, and he's like, "Please stop!" Oh, goes, oh I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was you know bothering you. And he's like, "That's ah, not your fault. I just pulled you out of a really bad movie." Yeah, that was another <laughs> thing. He's like, he keeps referencing the jail that he's in. He's like, "Yeah, this isn't really what it actually looks like. It's just I've seen a lot of jail movies, and it's based mm-hmm. on that corny stuff. Like, yeah. I know this." I know that it shouldn't be this way, but this is the best my brain can come up with. That's why I know this is a dream. Yep. And then that whole sequence when he's describing the walk to the electric chair and how it's going to play out, it's like 78 steps in the room and then it's tan and everything's tan and, you know, they sit in here. It's like a chair when you were a little kid. Yeah. It's hard and yeah, very creepy episode. It is creepy. It also has a really cool opening where it's just a light coming on the guy's head mm-hmm. and then the camera's pulling back and then the lights are coming on in the courtroom and yep. you realize where he is. Yep, you see the jury shuffling in and... And then your first clue that something weird is up is he's like reciting the verdict from the judge. Mm-hmm. Like his mouth is moving a little bit, but it's so subtle. It's like, yeah. is he saying what the judge is saying right now? Yeah. It's, it's a really cool episode. Yeah, I, I like this one a lot. Going by the description, uh, you know, that pops up when you're, you're on Netflix, for instance. I was yeah. like, I didn't know it was going to happen. So like, yeah. Whatever. I have I, to watch these. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still make it a point to avoid those descriptions. Do you? Yeah. I avert my gaze every time. Okay. I, I apparently blow it occasionally. So the whole thing in this episode about people shuffling places. Yes. And being pulled in into from his life into new places, including like pastors mm-hmm. that he had when he was a kid. Just yep. a lot of weird stuff like that. It had me think back to Wizard of Oz. Yeah. You know, in the end of that movie where it's like, oh, of course, you are the Scarecrow and you're the Tin Man. And then I started thinking... Wasn't there a whole series of Oz books? Like, think of, like, the new movie, which I guess is based on the universe. I don't know if it's based on a direct book. But, like, how did they build more books into that universe if it was all based on Dorothy's dream? I think we're assuming a lot of things. I don't, I haven't read the, the books. I, so do you think they just made that up for the movie, the whole part about, like... It is possible. Oh. Having not read... <laughs> being not familiar with that entire universe, I'll say... Maybe. Okay. It is, who knows? All right, I'll take that. If only there was a way that I yeah. could figure that out. There's a couple of cool quotes in this one. Like, there's They're trying to argue with them about whether or not this is a dream. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, how can it be a dream for you? Because I dream myself. Yep. And he's like, you only sleep and dream because I dream that you sleep and dream. Yeah. It really goes layers in. It's like Inception, man. You ever think about that? That everyone in the world is just... A- like a thing that you've manufactured every day, especially you, like as a kid. Yeah. Like around the age of 10 is when I really started to freak myself out thinking about that. Yeah. I think it's called solipsism or something. Yeah. I don't know. That everybody just exists within your own mind branching out. This episode really made you think and Rod Serling ends it by making you think more. He has a line. Where oh, like, do tell. His, his closing line. He goes, we exist, of course, but how, in what way? Think about it. <laughs> Or don't. (laughs) I'm not your boss. You know, all right. See you next time. Yeah, I got to smoke some more. (laughs) All right. I ended up giving this one an eight. Ah, I gave it a seven. I like this one a lot. Okay. Was there anything holding it back in your mind? Um, no. It just just felt real 70 to me. (laughs) (laughs) That 70 episode? It was that (laughs) that 70 episode. All right. Cool. All right. Next up, we have The Mind and the Matter. Starts off with a man, Archibald Beechcroft. Hates everybody. Just a big uh, misanthrope. Uh, suddenly gets a hold of a book, and the book is like a power of positive thinking kind of thing where if he, it's the only copy of this book, he is able to concentrate, he can manipulate everything at will. And first thing he does is he gets rid of everyone, so he's all by himself. Then he decides, I'm lonely, so he thinks the world would be a better place if 
it was only populated by him. Suddenly it's populated again just by clones of himself and he gets to see everyone is complaining and griping and bitching about everything and realizes this is no better. So he kind of pushes everything back to how it used to be. The guy who loaned him the book at the end asks, you know, did you find anything about it? And he says, ah, it's a bunch of pap. And that's the end. That's the shortest synopsis I can come up with. No, that's really good. You really did a good job there. Thank you. It's a lot more of him just being a whiny little punk. Yeah. (laughs) I'd say throughout the course of this episode, really unlikable character. Everybody in this episode. Everyone. Is just horrible. Like his coworker that goes up to him in the beginning is talking about how much he likes vegetables for breakfast and he'd eat it every day, but everybody would think that he's a little tilt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure what that meant. And then, like, the guy who borrowed him the books, like, pouring water all over him. And, mm-hmm. yeah, this episode, man. There, there was a confusing twist. I don't know about twist, but when he makes everybody disappear. Yes. And then the next shot. The train. Well, hang on. Oh, okay. that's a good point. Yeah, how's that train going? What I was thinking is when he comes into the subway, uh, he's not wearing glasses anymore. And mm. you get to know this character from his dorky glasses. Then all of a sudden, they're yeah. not there. And I wonder if that was, like, a subtle... Reference to the fact that like he willpowered his eyes into seeing better. That, or if that's a subtle reference, that's quite subtle. You don't think so? Why I would they know. take his take his glasses? Off? I don't it's know. It's confusing because he doesn't look forgot. like the same guy. No, anymore. he does not look like the same guy when he's not wearing the glasses in the hat. Yeah. But yeah, then then like he's waiting for the train and he's just like ah, it's empty now, and he just the train comes and stops and he just gets on it and lies down. I would be so completely terrified <laughs> of like an automated train, like <laughs> yeah. And then he gets to his office and his reflection starts talking to him a lot like mirror image Mm -hmm. or nervous man in a $4 room. Yeah. So he's having these debates with himself in his mirror self has a super tinny crappy voice. Yeah. But, uh, throughout that, like they keep referencing the fact that he's so bored, like, Oh, look at you. You're so bored. But like, he gets rid of everybody on Earth, mm-hmm. and the first thing he does is he goes to work. He goes and, to work. And then complains about how bored he is, yeah. just like pacing around his workspace. Yeah, that's astonishing that that would be his first thing, is to go to work. <laughs> this is like a continuing trend in the Twilight Zone of people having amazing situations yeah. and getting so bored of them so quickly. They just blow it instantly. It's like that Invincible guy from season one. I forget that episode. but Yeah. Well, you think that like this guy clearly is a reader... Because yeah. he's given a book and immediately just tears through it. Yeah. Why doesn't he go to the library? Or do anything. Do anything. Or, anything. At I all. thought but, this was going to have an interesting twist yeah. when he gets off the train and he sees a poster for a beautiful lady. Yeah. And he's like, Eureka. Like he has this great idea. And it's like, oh, he's going to conjure himself a beautiful woman and live a happy <laughs> sex-filled life. Yeah. And then his move is just to draw a mustache on the yep. lady's poster <laughs> and then walk away laughing. But he looks around and there's no one to appreciate his joke. And then he just kind of looks sad. <laughs> Like, really? And something I've noticed this season in general is a distinct lack of ice cream. Oh he could have God. gotten ice cream. He could have had as much as he wanted. He could have. He didn't do much conjuring of new things. It's like all he did was remove other things. Right. And then replace them with himself. And there's that really bizarre scene in the elevator where clearly, you know, when they have the, they do the like cutaway split screen kind of thing when he's, yeah. like, there's just two versions of himself interacting with one another. But right. they, they try to do like, a bunch of people jammed into an elevator and they're wearing these masks that they're hoping people don't notice, don't look anything like them. And they're clearly masks. It looks like a bunch of like Michael Myers from <laughs> Halloween masks. It's pretty gross. I didn't like looking at that scene at you all. You think they could have shot around that in some way. It had to have been a way. 
just have fewer people in the elevator. But I guess that was the whole point is that it was a, supposed to be a super packed elevator. That's what he had to face every day. So they needed it packed with versions of him, but clearly yeah. they only had one. Yeah. Couldn't they have found an actor with like triplets to make it a little bit better or something? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, it's all him, but like slight variations on him. So there's one's like a woman. One's a woman with <laughs> a, like a really like, you know, a little silly voice. And, yeah. you know, so it's kind of like him, but not really. It's, I don't it's understand. Weird. There was a really cool scene when he got up to the office and the camera is just doing like this long drag mm-hmm. and it's constantly a different version of him at a desk complaining <laughs> about people in a different way. Yeah. I I appreciated that aspect of this episode. Just like, oh, he gets to see what a pain in the ass he is and how antisocial people suck. Yeah. From a new perspective. But I don't it, know if he really learned it that. It doesn't much. seem like he learned anything at all. He's just kind of like, nah, whatever. Yeah. Them's people. Uh, I ended up giving this one a five. Gave it a six. Wow. Yeah. Just because of the wacky mask? Is that what bumped it up? No, that bumped it down. Is <laughs> <laughs> was the mustache on the hot chick. It's the mustache on the hot chick. It was, had the little curly loops like I like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next episode is, will the real Martian please stand up? Uh, cops go out and report on a possible UFO crash. They find footsteps leading from this UFO that go into a small diner. There's a total of eight people in this diner. And so because it's snowing outside and they can't get out, the cops just lock everybody in this diner trying to figure out who the Martian is. And it's basically the thing trying to figure out who the alien is amongst them and everyone's accusing each other. Uh, They then find out that the bridge has been patched up and so people are allowed to leave and the cops can't really do anything about it. Uh, People drive away and then one man comes back in and it turns out he was the Martian the whole time and explains that the bus crashed and everybody died. And then he reveals that he has a third arm and that he's from Mars. And then the man who was behind the diner the entire time reveals his third eye and explains he was from Venus. And there is a land battle going on between Mars and Venus over mm-hmm. this hot cafe. <laughs> hot cafe. The end. Yeah. This episode was really fun. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I had a great time with it. Yeah, because the whole thing is that everyone is at this diner because uh, the bridge is out and they're yeah. all on the same bus. So right. it becomes like mental calculations. Like the bus driver wasn't paying attention who was and wasn't on the bus really because that we, part was kind of weird because there's like seven people on the bus. It's super confusing because, yeah, he's like, oh, I only counted six people getting on the bus. I'm sure of it. Uh, but I just imagine like, okay, I guess he wouldn't recognize that he wouldn't recognize everybody getting on the bus and the passengers. I could see not recognizing other yeah. people. Then they show the bus and it's a tiny, it's basically like a van. Mm-hmm. And the idea that like people wouldn't be able to pinpoint who was on the van and who wasn't to try and figure out who this extra person in the cafe is. Yeah. And then the more confusing part, and I genuinely paused it to think about this and I'm not great at math and I'm hoping you can help me okay. out. Okay. There's six <laughs> humans. Yes. There's seven people in the cafe somebody comes up with the brilliant point of, well, there's two couples and we Mm -hmm. can rule those people out because they know that the other person isn't an alien. Right. But then the couples start doubting that their husband or wife is really their husband and wife and that it was swapped. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Mathematically, that would still add up? Sure. To seven? Well, they would discard the body, presumably. Right. So superficially, the numbers would be there, but there would be a corpse somewhere on the premises. But they still got on the bus 
with their couple. So they would still be six. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not like the person just appeared in the middle of the bus ride. So I still don't think that makes sense. No, they would have like, they, they were on the bus. They yeah. stopped at the diner. This Martian intercepts maybe person, one of the couples. But that wouldn't change the to total the number. Well, That's my point. If right. they get rid of that person, it wouldn't change the total number, so it wouldn't be bumped up to seven. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying this now. Is, this is a super easy math problem that I couldn't figure out, but I yeah. think that makes sense. But it's fun because the couples, it starts out because like the younger couple, the lady's like, didn't you have a mole on your chin before? And he's like, what are you talking about, darling? That's yeah. not true. Yeah, exactly. And then it was fun because the, the older husband and wife clearly just hate each other, mm-hmm. and so they're looking for a reason to throw each other under the bus, yeah. accusing each other of being the Martian. Yeah, and then there was a lady who was a dancer. They're really obsessed with dancers on this show. A lot of dancers. The bus driver falls in love with her. The bus driver looked like the French guy from Hogan's Heroes. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> and the we're missing guy. the best guy oh, is man. Jack Elam, a character actor with bug eyes that point in different directions. He plays this completely unhinged guy who makes the episode. He's absolutely fantastic. He's like the jukebox turns on at one point, you know, it's like a distraction. And then he walks over to it. Take me to your leader. And he salutes it. <laughs> and he finds he's like that, that kind of guy. He like, finds out there's a Martian in the in the place. He's like, show him your wings. Check him for wings. He's just <laughs> screaming. And it's funny because they they hold off his reveal for quite a while. Then finally, when he looks up and spins around in the I'm Hitler position, and you mm-hmm. realize, oh, it's a crazy guy. The only thing I knew for sure is like, okay, well, I know the Martian isn't that guy. Yeah. That's clearly they're trying to lead me in the wrong direction. Right. I'm pretty sure it's not the super sinister looking guy because that's also too obvious. Mm-hmm. And then I was completely wrong. It was totally the sinister looking dude the entire time. Oh, yeah. His reveal, too, is like he, uh, it's like a two part reveal because he yeah. comes back, everyone's dead. And the guy behind that was the was cool, by the way, that just everyone died. That was yeah. in that episode. Yeah. And then, then the guy behind the counter is like, well, I don't understand. How come you aren't wet? And he does the classic, wet? What is wet? He knows every other <laughs> word. Exactly. Wet. He knows how to turn a jukebox on and off <laughs> without touching it, but doesn't know the concept of wet. He was drinking coffee. Presumably, right? Yeah. Did he not like think about oh, whatever? He's drinking like 19 cups of coffee for a dollar forty. I think was the total they <laughs> yeah. ran out at the end. I just put it together now for another video game reference. Uh, the crazy guy at the counter, he's just like the camp counselor or like the guy that's over the intercom speakers in Psychonauts. Oh, totally. It's like the same guy, even yeah. if he looks the same. The yeah. same like tough Oleander, yeah. Crap. And when they does the trick though with the the uh, the third arm, it's very nice because it's like this. A guy is clearly sitting behind the guy's coat, but it's three arms, this fluid mm-hmm. pulling out a cigarette and matches, lighting the cigarette. Yeah. And you kind of, yeah, it's a very nice job, you know. Clearly, they didn't build a robotic hand or whatever. Yeah. But it's it, very nice. And then the way that the, the guy from Venus reveals who he is, he's got <laughs> that, so like, stupid. guy behind the counter at a diner hat. Yeah. And he slides it back, and he's got a third eye in the middle of his forehead. Here's the thing. I yes. think I've seen this episode before. Yes. But I thought for sure that it was the guy behind the diner that was the alien at a certain point mm-hmm. because he looks so familiar. But I realized like I just had seen that image a lot of him yeah. pulling back that thing and showing his third eye. Yeah. I don't know if it's just like on images on the internet or whatnot. But yeah. So I remember that he was involved in some way, but they didn't account for like the, the extra guy on so, the bus. So here's the question I have. Yeah. The episode ends with the guy from Venus saying, the guy's like, well... My people are coming soon, you know, and he's like, well, about that, actually, yeah. you know, we came here first and we've intercepted your fleet and they're all gone. Yeah. So by the way, whatever, we saw this too and we had the same idea. So my people are coming. And then he just does this like 
kind of a chuckle laugh thing for a long time. And I, is he a good guy? Cause he played like a really good natured guy behind the counter right. and seemed like everything was cool. Uh huh. Like, should we be rooting for him? Is he like, are the Venusians, are they on our side here? Well, I mean, it depends if you want super strength or super intelligence. Yeah. You know, who you want to root for. Because if you want super strength, you want to root for the Martians to take Three over. arms. Based on the previous episodes. Yeah. Yeah. But super intelligence, you can predict baseball games. So I guess you'd want the Venusians. They need to get their, their story straight, really. With It's really all over the place. Yeah. Or maybe it's just like diversity on a planet. It's kind of like we have on Earth, we have like monkeys and we have giraffes. Yeah. Why not? On the same place. You know, whatever. <laughs> so he... Scares everybody in the room by making the jukebox play. Mm-hmm. But there was a genuine jump scare in this episode when he made like the sugar on the tables fly up. Mm-hmm. I, that was really scary to me. I think maybe it's just the actor's response to it. They were super freaked out. Yeah. But that that was a good moment for me. Yeah. Good stuff. This was a really cool episode. It's, it's interesting that like it is the th- plot from The Thing in a lot of ways. And I just saw The Thing again on the big screen. They're showing it at the Mall of America mm-hmm. here in Minneapolis. And it was so much fun to see. And as I was walking out, I was talking to some friends. And I was like, you know, I could go for that setting just constantly on a mm-hmm. weekly television series. Just give me a room full of people. Yep. One of them's the alien. And they're just arguing with each other to try and figure out who the alien is. Yeah. That is like my favorite premise. And I'm so glad that this episode nails it really well. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I did a really good job. As did I. <laughs> I ended up giving it an eight. I agree with you. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Um, this is nice because they 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 dealt with aliens without uh, a wheeled in cart with two heads. Was well, it nice or a little unfortunate? That's the big reel, just an eyeball. I okay. want a cart. You want the cart? Yeah. Also, well, you wanted the other head to spring up, and he's like, <laughs> "Hello, actually." I thought it was nice of the cops. One of a one of whom looked like uh, Tom Brokaw. Mm-hmm. And when they came in, everyone's like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" And they're like, "Well." A UFO crashed, and we think one of you is an alien. Like, they were much more open and honest than I ever expected them to be. Oh, yeah. Just laying it all out there. And then they were so confident that the alien was like a shapeshifter, which was weird. They never even, like, addressed the possibility that this alien was hiding in the room somewhere. They just immediately jumped to the conclusion that one of these human beings is the alien. Yeah. That was a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, they were probably only, like, like... A few cups of coffee away from pointing guns at people and saying, <laughs> and it was just because like someone heard a weird sound and the tops of trees were knocked off. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Cool. Next one. Next one, the obsolete man. Hey, what do you know? We're going to start off in a courtroom-like setting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. We've got a guy who's on trial. It appears to be some kind of future totalitarian state. And the charge is his vocation, a librarian. He's obsolete in this future society. So he's sentenced to death or liquidation as they call it, but not in the literal sense. (laughs) So because of the way they deal with punishment in the future, he's able to choose his method of execution and a few other details. The person says, here's the deal. I want a person to come to my, or uh, I want my, to choose my executioner and I get to pick my method then only he will know, and I want it to be televised. And the chancellor comes, the person who was kind of like holding the punishment out, to the guy's apartment. They talk for a while, and he says, my method of execution is going to be a bomb. There's a bomb ticking in this room. And the guy's like, oh, crap. And tries to open the door to get out, and the door is locked. So basically, he has an hour before the bomb goes off and is being televised. 
and the librarian reads from the Bible. He's totally cool with it. And the other guy is like, ah, I see what you're going to try to do. And then at the last second, he freaks out and says, for the love of God, let me out. And the guy lets him out. Boom, the bomb explodes. And the chancellor is put on trial. And then, then he's liquidated. He's put on trial because he admitted that he believed in God. Which the government had proven false. They proved that there was no God. This yes. is an episode filled with just like a bunch of fancy future dictatorship terminology. The yes. whole script was just Serling whacking off, but I yeah. still enjoyed it. Yeah. It's like, it was ridiculous and it felt just like a the like a theatrical play, but it was still, it was fun to watch. It had noted Twilight Zone bookworm Burgess Meredith. Playing another librarian slash yeah. book obsessed guy. No glasses this time. You remember him from Time Enough at Last. Yeah. And what was the other one he was in? Oh, um, Mr... Mr. Beamish. He played Mr. No, not Beavis. Beavis was another one. Uh, it was someone... The it's our favorite episode. Strongman? Yeah, this Mr. Dingus. Mr. Dingle the Strong <laughs> or whatever it is. Something like that. But I didn't realize until recently that he was the Penguin in the original Batman series. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Of course. I, I should have connected that a long time ago. Yeah. I feel like an idiot. Uh, yeah, when this episode started out, I thought it was just going to be those two men arguing in the futuristic courtroom. Mm-hmm. Because that goes on. It's like half the episode is just them talking about the state and politics. The nature of books. Nature of man, really. Yeah. It dives deep. It's interesting because when they go to his apartment, you learn that in the future, you know, you have to have a vocation. He, the reason he was allowed to live as long as he was, I thought was an interesting detail, is that he, he makes, the accused makes it aside like, oh yeah, I made all these cabinets myself. And then he's like, oh yeah, that's why we let you live, that kind of thing. So <laughs> otherwise, it, it, I was wondering... This guy was clearly a librarian, and this is yeah. not something that is like treated with any degree of respect or value. Why didn't you liquidate him earlier? Yeah, but he just seems out of place that he's been able to live this long yeah. in this society that's so far removed from her own. Yeah. It's like he just pops up in the middle of it. Well, he's able to make really kick-ass bookshelves, which are a hot <laughs> commodity in this version of the future. Now, when the guy first comes in, the chancellor, a detail yeah. that I was I thought was really fun. Maybe it's my definition of fun is a little wrong, <laughs> but... He comes in and the guy is leaning on a book. I don't know if you noticed this. Uh-uh. He's leaning on a book that is the biggest, thickest book I've ever seen in my entire That's life. So you know he's smart. This book is like a cube. <laughs> it's, if you look at it, it doesn't make any sense that a book would be bound that thick. You think at that point they would be like, okay, we need to start breaking this into volumes. Yeah. It so, wasn't the Bible that he promotes later on by reading it out loud for a while. Oh, no. It wasn't that. This was the most pro Christian episode. It was I've seen. super preachy. Yeah. They even did the thing where, like, one of my favorite effects when he's reading from the Bible, he's doing, you know, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it showed, like, a clock flying by in the background, you know, and skipping ahead in the verse. And, you know, you see, like, another clock. The seconds are ticking by. It's like, As the Chancellor's guy is getting more and more nervous and constantly staring at the camera that's in the room that's yeah. going to broadcast their death. I like that he could not look away from the camera. It's like yeah. he knew he had to put on this show. Yeah. And that he was just blowing it. I think it was a perfect simulation of what it's like to have someone read the Bible to you. And <laughs> you're not really into it just like clocks zipping by i gotta say for a dictatorship they were super lenient with the idea of like hey i'd like to choose my own execution and i don't want you to know what it is they're like okay sure i would have said i would like to be executed in this room right now by gas (laughs) well he said it everybody librarian has spoken dang it and they made a bit kind of a like if I'm not mistaken, they made a big deal out of like, oh, you want to be televised? Well, we haven't done that in a while, you know, whatever. And then when the guy gets to the apartment, he's talking about like, oh, yeah, we did this mass execution of like 1,600 people and it was super rad. Yeah. His whole theory for why previous dictatorships failed, because like they got 
very specific when the Christian guy, Christian librarian was like, oh, don't you know anything from history? Of course you're, you'll fail. And the guy is like, well, of course we learned from Stalin and Hitler. Just like yeah. directly referenced them, which was kind of cool. And his theory is that their problems, they, they didn't kill enough people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was their, their fatal flaw. Everybody <laughs> knows they weren't blood hungry enough. So yeah. that's what they were going to fix this time around. Yeah. By blowing you up in your dumb apartment. Yeah, that explosion, he he dove out of the room just in time and then it blows up. It was like if a room, it was like a, like the room had a practical joke played on it. Like it was yeah. like a loaded cigar. It was just kind of like a loud clapping and a flash right. of light. Like right. he should have walked out with his shirt and tatters. <laughs> just continue to you know, just keep reading his Bible. Yeah, adjusted his tie. Yeah. And then falling over. <laughs> That's the way it goes. Okay, my favorite thing about the beginning of The Obsolete Man. Yes. Is Sterling's intro. He comes in and he's getting preachy right out of the gate. And he says that there's only one iron rule for dictatorships. And he holds up his finger to say one, but he will not let go of his cigarette. Oh, it's so so much smoke. So it's so much smoke. And he's just holding up two fingers. So as he's saying one iron rule, he could not use his non-smoking hand or put down his cigarette for half a second. So it looks like he's saying two. It's a super stupid moment. He could have been, if he was a Martian... (laughs) <laughs> that, that problem would have sorted itself out in a really elegant way. That's how I'm sure he came up with that third hand idea. Is, oh, if I had one more hand to smoke so I could please <sighs> a lady with the rest other two. Furiously typing diner, bus, <laughs> intro, for obsolete man. Oh, the, then there's the ending, okay? Where yeah. he gets called back and he's like surprised that there's someone else in like the tallest uh, lectern ever manufactured. A lot of right. tall things. Also that door. That they interact, it's, it's like three well, stories future, tall. It has to look, yeah, quite very, different. Very tall. And um, he's like, he fights it. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not obsolete. And everyone in the crowd just starts going, obsolete, obsolete. In the future, everybody obsolete, really likes the term ob- obsolete. I was just like, that's, it's one of those, like, you hear it for a while. And you're like, this is a weird word. Yep. I'd never think about the word obsolete or obsolescence. And then the crowd just does this weird, like, they turn into zombies. They just do this, oh, oh like, and it's like this rising tempo. Yeah. And yeah. then they just turn into like zombies, but they move and kind of crowd around. Like them. a West Side Story kind exactly. of thing. It feels like a musical. They're all yeah. moving in this really strange pattern. And like he runs to the other side of the room and yeah. they run after him and slide him across the table. Yeah. And one lady like knocks the microphone off the table with like a swat of the arm. And then the episode ends. Like it just fades down on them kind of eating him as if they were zombies, but not really eating him. They just kind of like crowd they, around like, him. Like overwhelm him. To. Yeah. It's weird. Can you imagine being selected for that jury? I, I think you have to. They're not interested in if you're sick or no. if you have they just want another to appointment. Obsolete and Russia guy like a musical. How are your unging skills? <laughs> um, okay, pretty good. Pretty good. I was amazed that they let this guy, first of all, be blown up in his own apartment and also that they let him lock the door. Yeah. Like what? who's supervising this? Death. This For execution. something that's televised nationally, they're like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Just go ahead and lock the door. And why did the chancellor go over there? I missed that part. Well, he's, he, they never really go into detail. Burgess Meredith, Christian librarian, says, um, I invited you here. Done and done, sir. Yeah. Plot wrapped up. Yeah. Uh, I ended up giving this one a six. Let me unfold my... I've hidden this piece of paper from the government. Yeah, that's what I gave it to. A six. 
I mean, I think the ending with the zombie jury was interesting. Like, I like the idea of two guys, yeah. one from the state, one small, lovable hero going at it in a battle of wits. Mm-hmm. But, like, the way that he actually tricked him. It had, like, interesting moments, but I, I agree. Like, the way that he tricked him was dumb. <laughs> and it just had that melodramatic preachiness that yep. I think stories from this era can kind of fall prey to. And well, Rod Sterling says you gotta file this one under M for mankind at the end. Oh, I take that back. <laughs> Never mind. It was this sta- blistering indictment on the human condition. <laughs> Who? What is a man, really? It's definitely not as strong of an ending to a season as last season's bizarre <laughs> one with the red-eyed elephant being summoned in the hallway and all. Oh that God! Kind of stuff. Yeah, I miss the good old days. We've we had some good times this th- this season though, didn't we? I think so. We're going to find out for sure yeah. with the next episode. Yes. Because it's... Are we calling them the Franklins again? This is the second annual Franklin Awards. Do I have to do all that post-production work? You do. <laughs> that was a huge no, I ass. don't know what you're talking about. You do, do you mean do we have to record that in front of a live audience? Oh, yes, yeah. Yes, we do. All right. So... And get the orchestra gonna, back together? We're going to do our season two awards next episode. Yes. Uh, we're not going to take as much of a break or any break at all before season three. We're going to roll this. with it. Yeah, let's keep it rolling. So what we do is we come up with a bunch of dumb categories. Some will probably be returning from season one's yes. Franklin's award show. Mm-hmm. Some will invent. Uh, and then we don't know. We know the categories, but we don't know what each other have selected for the episodes. And then we debate it out to find out the best episodes, the worst episodes. My favorite category that you invented, which was most mediocre, most aggressively <laughs> mediocre episode. Okay. I already know what that one is. Yeah. I'm very confident in my choice. Okay. Well, don't tell me. All right. Uh, so that should be a full-length episode coming next week. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. And then straight on to season three. Whew. We can do it, man. We, we can, can do, do it. it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. Tune in next week for a little bit more. Bye, Twilight. As I say. Twilight. Twilight. <laughs>